I'm here once again to convey to you the urgency of this moment. These past few weeks were a pivotal moment for our county and our state. And we were hopeful that maybe we would see case counts go down as the community realized the seriousness of the situation. But now we are in a moment where we see the pandemic continuing to head in the wrong direction. While this pandemic is hard to predict, we are seeing the strain on our public health systems and we are worried about what further spread of this disease might mean for our community. We hope that this situation is not irreversible, but to reverse the course we are on, we need everyone more than ever to urgently take action to slow the spread of COVID-19. Cases are continuing to rise in Dane County. From September 29th to October 12th, we saw an average case count of 133 cases per day, almost three times our average case count from late August. As of October 20th, our 14-day average is 164 cases per day. Over 3,200 people have tested positive in Dane County in October alone. People hospitalized with COVID-19 have increased from 17 on September 18th to 90 hospitalizations as of October 20th. From the beginning, we, we all in this community and in Public Health Madison Dane County have committed countless hours to responding to this pandemic. Since February, we have expanded our workforce from about seven contact tracers to a team of 180 and that number is still growing. This unit, this contact tracing unit alone is larger than the entire staff of Public Health Madison Dane County before COVID-19 and only represents one area of our response. We have about 360 people working in the department right now. Up until now, we have been able to rely on the state when surges in cases outpace our capacity. However, the increase in cases across the state no longer makes this an option. Our staff are working seven days a week to conduct contact tracing, analyze and share data, work with many different sectors in the community, run testing sites, immunize people, communicate updates, enforce orders, and so much more. But right now we cannot keep up. With this sustained rise in cases, we cannot quickly contact trace cases and let the people they came in contact with know that they should quarantine. We are struggling with the constant and unending rise in cases just as everyone else in the state is. We are moving to a crisis model of contact tracing for the time being. If you test positive, you will still be notified of your positive test, test by your provider or your testing facility. Our contact tracers will try our best to follow up with all people with COVID-19. However, we cannot guarantee we will call to interview you if you test positive. In addition, if you are exposed by someone else and need to quarantine, we will likely not be able to call you to notify you of your exposure. We hope to be able to restart all of these activities soon, but we do not yet know when that will be. That depends on case counts. The good news is that all of us have control over these case counts. Public health contact tracing is part of the safety net we've created as part of our response. But it isn't the only or the best way to slow the spread of COVID-19. Contact tracing intervenes after people have already been exposed to the virus to minimize the spread to others. But we don't have to get to that point where people are getting exposed if we avoid the activities that spread COVID-19 in the first place. This means we are calling you to action. 
we need you to act as if you could have COVID-19 and could be spreading it to others. If you go outside your home, stay six feet from others. Wear your mask. Don't hang out in big groups. Don't go to events like weddings or parties. If you feel at all sick, stay home from work and activities and get tested. If you do these things, you will greatly lower your chances of being exposed to COVID-19. And even if you are exposed to COVID-19, you will greatly lower the chance of spreading it further in our community. I know these action steps are not new to people. We've been saying them since the beginning. What has changed is our ability to help support you in that right now. You can't assume you're healthy and not spreading COVID-19. We can't tell you if you've been exposed and are at risk of having COVID-19. You need to reduce your, act, your risk through your actions. Public health cannot control this pandemic on our own. And as public health's tools for reducing spread get more and more strained, we need everyone else to step up and please respond seriously. The best time to change our behavior was before autumn, but the next best time is today. If we want to see a safer and healthier winter, we must act now. Thank you. And now I will introduce uh, Dr. Softar from UW Health. Good morning. My name is Nasia Safdar. I'm the medical director for infection prevention at UW Health. And I am joined by leaders today from SSM and Meritor Unity Point as well. And we will be happy to take questions. What I'm going to be talking about today is the impact on the health systems of the COVID-19 pandemic. Health systems have had, you know, from the very beginning of the pandemic, have had to do a bit of a balancing act. And that balancing act is getting harder and harder to maintain. A few weeks ago, when we mentioned the escalating situation, we had a handful of COVID-positive inpatients in our facilities. The number is more than double, and it's increasing rapidly even as we speak. The effects on the health system of such a surge in patients with COVID-19 coming in means that there will have to be trade-offs made in the kind of care for those with, who do not have COVID but still have serious medical conditions that need care. And how will health systems balance that? I think the two, two, two things that are constraining us all, well, one is bed capacity. Bed capacity is the easier of the two to fix because the other one is staffing. You can conjure up beds from thin air, and health systems are very adept and agile in doing that. But we, what you cannot do is conjure up a fully trained healthcare worker workforce and stand them up to provide care. Just like we're seeing infections in the community, we're also seeing infections in healthcare workers, and that means that many members of that critical workforce are out for several days, which then leads to downstream effects on our patients. So I guess the bottom line is things are far worse than they were even just a few days ago, and we seem to be on a fast increasing trajectory in not a favorable direction. In order to reverse this, the community has to come together to take the steps that we know work. And the single most important thing is to prevent the transmission of this virus to others, meaning that we have to reduce our physical movement and our physical mobility. As people travel, so does the virus. The other things, masking, maintaining your six feet distancing are obviously also critical. Uh, and all of these have to be done. One is not a substitute for the other. It's a whole suite of solutions. With that, we hope that the health systems will be able to remain in a place where we can do what we are most equipped to do, provide the safest exemplary health care that we can. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. And 
Uh, thank you to the health systems for joining us. This is a crucial time for our city and our county, indeed for our entire country and our entire world. We need everyone to step up and be leaders so that we can slow the spread of COVID-19. And everyone in our community can find a way to be a leader. Businesses can be leaders by ensuring that their employees can stay home when they are sick or have been exposed to COVID-19. They can lead by creating a work from home policy to ensure that everyone who can work from home does so. And for folks who have to come into the workplace, businesses can ensure that employees wear masks, stay physically distant, and have access to ways to wash or sanitize their hands and all surfaces. The public can be leaders in this fight to slow the spread of COVID-19. We can all avoid gatherings with people who are outside of our households. We can stay home unless we must go out. Halloween is approaching. We've got Badger games coming. Don't celebrate these events with people you don't live with. If you go out to trick or treat, only go with people that you live with and stay six feet away from others. Don't host parties, don't go to parties with people outside of your bubble. Wear a mask whenever you might come in contact with someone else. Stay home if you've been exposed to COVID-19 or if you feel at all sick and get tested if you have symptoms. And every time you're outside of your house, please stay six feet away from people you don't live with. This is not complicated. I know we've all been saying this for months. I know we're tired, but we have to take these actions to help slow the spread. And please, whenever you think of it, wash your hands, sanitize, make sure you're practicing your good hand hygiene. Between September 29th and October 12th, 409 of our non-UW-related cases attended a gathering or a party in the two weeks before they tested positive. That's 28% of the cases in that time period. We had cases that were associated with clusters from weddings, and we are seeing weddings from other counties spreading COVID-19 into Dane County when people leave Dane County to go to those events and come back. I know folks want to be with their families. I know they want to be at events. They want to celebrate these milestones in our lives. But nothing is worth the strain that it puts on our healthcare system and the danger that it puts ourselves, our families, and our neighbors in. Everyone can be a leader in stopping the spread of COVID-19. And we need everyone in the city of Madison 
and in Dane County to step up, take this seriously, and take the actions that will keep us all safe. Hi everyone, I'm County Executive Joe Parisi. Our community has crossed, crossed a threshold in the COVID crisis. Despite the fact that we have the most robust public health effort in the state, we can no longer guarantee that everyone who has come into contact with a person who's tested positive for COVID can be notified. The number of cases has simply overrun our health department's capacity. The spike in cases that began in September has become a wave, a wave that is overwhelming our community and our resources. And while the vast majority of our residents are complying with our guidelines, quarantine fatigue has set in at the worst possible moment in our battle against this disease. There is near universal agreement that the next few months could be the darkest we've experienced yet. We're going into the fall with record case growth, record deaths, record hospitalizations, and ICUs being strained. The cold hard truth is that the next few months could very well be brutal. More people will get sick and more people will die. And the truth is, the situation is already brutal for the nurses, the doctors, and the others who are working with critically ill COVID patients as we speak. One can only imagine how stressful and heartbreaking and frustrating this situation has to be for healthcare workers, for their patients, and for the families of those who are fighting for their lives due to this cruel virus. Now, more than ever since the beginning of this pandemic, we need to come together as a community and work to keep one another safe. As we contemplate our daily routines, let's keep in mind the effects of our actions on those who are most vulnerable to the effects of COVID-19. Let's keep in mind the senior citizens for whom going to the grocery store is still a necessity. Let's keep in mind the grocery store clerks who serve them and the rest of us. Let's keep in mind the senior citizens who are living in assisted living facilities and nursing homes and the CNAs and caregivers with whom they interact. Let's keep in mind the COVID patients and the doctors and nurses and others who are caring for those who are critically ill in ICUs here at home and across the state. And let's remember that whether you're weak or strong, young or old, you are not immune to the potential ravages of this illness, nor to the potential for you to spread it to someone more vulnerable than yourself. We need to remain strong. We need to utilize the tools and the knowledge we have to try to slow down the tsunami that's headed our way. We all need to take this seriously because we all have the ability to prevent unnecessary human suffering. The actions we take today will determine what the next few months will look like. Will our ICUs overflow like we're seeing in other parts of the state? 
but we have to erect a field hospital right here in this very building in which we're standing today. As was mentioned earlier, we're beginning to see hospitals across the state experiencing staffing shortages due to growing COVID cases among their staff. Will that happen here too? In many ways, the answer to all of these questions is, it's up to us. While we can't stop the wave that began in September and hasn't let up since, we can still slow down this surge of illness and suffering that has descended upon us. We are not powerless, and the story of the next few months has not yet been written, but the time to impact that narrative is running short. Every single one of us needs to double down on our efforts to slow the spread of COVID-19. We can do this, but it's going to take a renewed commitment from all of us. One day, we will be on the other side of this. But first, we have to get through the next few months. And we will make it through this period better if we do it together. Because each of our actions today will determine what our emergency rooms, our ICUs, and our community will look like tomorrow. Thank you. Any of us are available for questions. According to Reuters, AstraZeneca's trial is expected to resume as early as this week. Is there an update as far as UW's role in that? I think whenever it's resumed, UW Health will will enroll patients as well, but thus far we have not received word exactly when it will resume. As another question for you. Um, there has been research that shows that the mortality rate for people facing COVID is going down. Uh, is this because doctors are learning more treatments uh, to help patients, or is it simply because, as some people think, that it was never that deadly to begin with? Well, I think that even though the mortality has gone down since it first began, it's still several fold the mortality of seasonal flu, which is the other thing people like to compare it with, which I think is an erroneous assumption because, of course, we don't know the long-term consequences of COVID. Just because you've been discharged from the ICU, which is a very fortunate event, and that's great, but it doesn't mean there aren't several months of rehabbing and trying to get back to normal life for those people. So there's a spectrum with COVID-19. I think the improvement in mortality is due in large part because there's more therapeutics available, there's good supportive care, and most importantly, health systems, you know, when they aren't overwhelmed, can do a much better job than when they are. Um, the mortality can also go the other direction if everything is not exactly aligned. So it's a good place to be in, certainly, that mortality is low, but we need to keep doing it. And then I... Go I have a question for public health now. Uh, we've seen for since uh, the National Guard left that lines have just been super long in the last couple of weeks. Can you talk a little bit to whether this is because we may need that help from the National Guard or just because more and more people are getting tested as Wisconsin remains a hotspot? Sure. We've had some days where the lines have been long, generally speaking, at the beginning of the week. So Tuesdays, yesterday now is, uh, Tuesdays are now our first day that we're open for testing. Those lines are long at the beginning. Um, I would not have uh, um, 
make any correlation with the National Guard presence. Um, we are serving the same volume and number of folks every week, but in 40 hours instead of 56 hours. So our system is running very, very smoothly. And I think in general, the wait times are not, not that long. I'd also like to mention that I'm joined, we're joined here today by representatives from SSM and uh, Meritor Health as well for questions. Is voting as dangerous as it was back in April, in-person voting? Um, we've learned a lot since then, and we've improved our practices. So I think that there are very safe ways to vote, and our systems have adjusted for that. And I'd, I'd be happy to have the mayor answer additional questions about voting. So voting has, I think, always been and is still safe in the city of Madison. Um, obviously, the April election was a challenge for everyone. Um, but in Madison, I think it was as safe as it could possibly be. Um, and here in this election season, coming up to the November election, the city clerk has worked tremendously hard to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to vote in a way that is safe, secure, and healthy. So. Uh, as of yesterday, our early voting sites are open. Um, we have uh, poll workers available to either accept absentee ballots or help people vote absentee in person. Those poll workers are all equipped with PPE. Everything is sanitized in between contact with voters. We're maintaining the six-foot physical distancing that's necessary. And you'll see the same thing at the polls on November 3rd, uh, where we will have uh, plexiglass barriers. We will have... Uh, plenty of sanitizing. We will have folks in PPE. Uh, we will have masks available if anybody does not have their own. Um, and we are offering curbside voting in many locations so that people can literally drive up to the curb, not have to leave their vehicle, and a poll worker will come to them. Uh, again, fully masked, wearing PPE, gloves, sanitizing everything. So we've spent a lot of time and energy making sure that this election will go smoothly and that everyone will have the ability to vote in a way that is safe, secure, and healthy. What has changed from last April to now to where last April you fought for postponing the election as of now? We've had a lot of time to prepare, um, and we have uh, done a lot of preparation. So we have um, uh, fully staffed up poll workers, whereas in April you'll recall that we had poll workers canceling on us. Um, we now actually have as many, if not more, poll workers than we anticipate needing, um, both for early voting and for actually election day itself. Um, so I'm confident that we're going to be able to, again, pull this off in a, in a really healthy and safe way. Um, and the clerk's office has done a really tremendous job at analyzing what happened in both April and August to make sure that we're taking into account everything possible as, again, we are in the November election season. For the health systems, have you guys put out a call for out-of-state healthcare workers to come to Wisconsin to help out with the surge? Hi, I'm Sam Wetzel. I'm the um, CMO at Meritor. And um, yes, we are uh, looking for, especially for nurses, is an area of greatest need. And so what we do is we do ask for uh, um, agencies to help us out with what we call traveling nurses or agency nurses. So we have are looking for them. Uh, I know that uh, UW has done the same and has been some, um, somewhat successful in that. Uh, it's still a struggle for us because uh, the need for nurses is occurring throughout the country. 
And uh, so, you know, we continue to, to pursue that. Um, but uh, there's limited supply, as you can imagine. I'd like to ask you and the folks from the other hospitals, of the 90 or so hospitalizations right now in the county, can you say roughly how many are from out of the county or out of the area where we normally draw patients from? Uh, so at Meritor, we have um, uh, a little over 20 patients. Uh, I know that uh, in the, and I don't have a breakdown of how many of those are actually from Dane and how many of those are from outside of Dane. I know um, uh, as far as a week or so ago, um, uh, many of our patients were coming from outside of Dane. I don't know if the others have more specific numbers on that. Well, just a general Over time, the number of patients coming to UW Health from outside Dane has increased and continuing to increase. And we have about between 35 to 40 patients in house right now. That patient's been turned away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, SSM Health, St. Mary's uh, president. We're seeing the same thing. So an increase in uh, patients being transferred or direct admitted from outside the county. And we're around 30 patients right now in house. That patient's been uh, turned away, or are we approaching that point to where you guys just can't handle anything anymore? Uh, over at Meritor, we're uh, accommodating all of the patients that are coming to us, uh, and we also take patients from the region, too. There are times, though, that we're, our beds are filled, and if they're coming from outside of, if they're in our own emergency room, we're able to handle that and take care of them. If they're coming from outside the region and we happen to not have a bed, we let them know that and um, they, they then uh, have to look elsewhere, but we're able to accommodate what we have right now. We're also looking to, like the others, are looking to expand our beds and to, um, as we mentioned, to try to get more nursing to help us out with those patients. Uh, as we talked about, the traveler, the agency nurse. We're also looking at our nurses who are working in other areas who are skilled uh, in, in uh, taking care of um, uh, medical patients that could come back. Um, maybe they're working in a different area. They could be in education. They could be in informatics. And we could, you know, recently maybe had worked on the medical floor. Could they come back in and help us out in that respect? Bouncing off of that question, is there an amount of time that we foresee that we are as far away from or close to opening up a field hospital locally? Is that in sight or is it still kind of? I, I know that that's been talked about and it's on the radar. It's not something that, um, you know, we've gone to at this point. I don't know if Kyle has anything more to say. I think, right? We are working right now. I think the thing that's been great in Madison is the three hospitals working together to ensure capacity. As it stands right now, capacity is tighter than we'd like, but uh, we are able to accommodate right now what we're seeing from a staffing and a bed capacity situation. But we've definitely seen an increase, and as part of our plans is to expand capacity to all three hospitals but that's limited in what we can possibly do. But right now we, we have the capacity, I feel like between all three hospitals with what we're seeing currently, but that could change if we don't see a, a, a preventative strategy. Just as a follow-up though, why didn't you use the existing alternate care facility in West Palace before opening up here? 
nobody's using it. Yeah, and I was just going to mention that, that there is the, the, um, the ACF in, in um, the Milwaukee area. And uh, we are looking at that. Uh, I think UW is too, and, and St. Mary's of, uh, you know, what mix of our patients could actually go over there. Uh, we'll say that um, there's requirements uh, that you need to meet in, in order to uh, go to that facility. Uh, and so there's a list of things. You have to meet certain requirements. And then patient, uh, of course, at the end of the day has, uh, has to make that choice to be moved from Madison to the Milwaukee area. A question for either public health or executive Parisi, I don't know who would be better to answer, but uh, we have a lot of people coming from outside of our county where resources aren't as, um, I should say, aren't as good as having the Alliant Energy Center where they have less testing available. Are, is, do we need to have neighboring counties come up with more resources for their own counties while we are struggling in our own public health department to keep up? Yeah, I would say on a on a on an even broader level, this really drives home the importance of having strong statewide guidelines in place. Um, and you know, unfortunately, when that was interrupted as it was as abruptly as it was, um, we saw we saw the results of that then. That's why, you know, in Dane County, we were in a relatively good place until the first week or two of September. And that's when this, this all took off. So anything other communities, can, other communities can do helps all of us. Anything the state can do to continue to not only keep the orders they have in place, but, but, but to work to, to, to have people adhere to those orders and that guidance. Because as we've been you know, talking about the, this exact same point, for the last number of months is we're not an island and we do the best that we can, but tens of thousands of people cross our borders every day. Um, hence some of the reports of people attending weddings and other gatherings and events outside of Dane County that may not have been allowed here, but then, then bringing COVID back. The people we're hearing about feeding into our medical system. So we're doing the best we can here. We really need, you know, frankly, political leadership in surrounding counties and statewide to continue to take this as seriously as we can. Um, my question is for public health. Um, so with the strain on contact tracing, what responsibility do people have to contact the trees themselves? And is there anything that we can do? Yeah, so we will be asking people to notify their contacts. Um, there is an app, and I don't have that in front of me right now, that people could use to support their ability to do that quickly. Um, we cannot require people to use that app, but there are tools available to support that. And we're hoping that this is just a short-term um, part of our response right now. How has the strain been affecting the doctors and nurses that are doing the search? So, you know, healthcare workers as a group have enormous reserves of resilience. But of course, everyone's human. And the strain of taking care of large and increasing numbers of COVID 19 patients, in addition to our usual job of providing care to those that also need it for other chronic medical conditions, is starting to tell on the workforce. There's, this is not just a, a Wisconsin or a Dane County phenomenon, this has been well reported nationwide that the healthcare workforce is suffering from high numbers of burnout, fatigue, and exhaustion. And what we're seeing now, unfortunately, would only add to that. For the mayor, you touched a little bit on um, Halloween parties and Badger games, but 
Thanksgiving's coming up, and it's one of the most traveled by plane, by car, um, holidays of the year. Is this also something we've heard from nationally that people should not go travel? Is this also something that we're thinking here locally? Yeah, I think that we just all have to realize that we are living with this virus, and we will be living with this virus for months, if not years to come. And we have to adapt our behavior right now. I, there are, unfortunately, a number of states um, that you cannot travel to from Wisconsin right now without quarantining for two weeks. Um, you can't go across the border into Illinois without quarantining for two weeks. So, yes, I think people should be reevaluating any Thanksgiving plans they have. Um, I know that for my family, we'll hopefully be doing a Zoom Thanksgiving uh, with the folks that normally would come and visit us. Um, because, you know, for my 75-year-old mother, it's not safe for her to travel. And it's not safe for me to travel to her. Um, and because I want to keep her safe and the rest of my family safe, uh, we won't be traveling. And I would encourage everybody to reevaluate their plans, uh, whether that's for the next game day or for Halloween or for Thanksgiving uh, or for the winter holidays. Um, think about keeping your bubble small and think about uh, making your plans with the people that you live with. Um, and if you do need to see other people, again, wear that mask, keep that six foot of distance, um, and find a way to be together uh, and to celebrate these holidays and these milestones in a way that's safe and isn't going to harm your loved ones. Time for one more question. The uh, head of the Senate Health Committee uh, said this week that there was nothing else that government could do. I'm I, there is so much that government can do, uh, I, I think, at every level. And, and here in Madison and Dane County, um, I think we have tried really hard um, to um, lead by example and, and uh, with the public health orders, um, with the messaging that we've done, um, you know, with the emphasis on health and safety, um, I, you know, I think as the county executive said, there is much more that state government could be doing right now. Um, it's very unfortunate that the governor has tried multiple times to put orders out that would keep our communities safe um, and that the legislature has challenged those. Um, I think that there is, you know, we need a statewide approach and frankly, we need a national approach to fighting this virus. Um, as we're seeing here, uh, you know, right now we have capacity for testing, but as was referenced earlier, we have folks coming from around the state to get tested here. We have folks coming from around the state to use our hospital systems. I don't begrudge that, but that means that there is a need around the state for more testing and for more health care. Right? And so, yes, there is more that state government can do. Yes, there is more that the federal government could do. Our communities need help. We need help testing. We need help with relief. We need help making up for the lost revenue due to the coronaviruses. We need help supporting our small businesses. We need help supporting our vulnerable communities. So there is absolutely more that could be happening from state and federal government in particular. I'm sure Joe has something to add to that. 
a subject which we could talk about for a long time. But first and foremost, our leaders, particularly our national leaders, are role models. And they need to model the appropriate behavior, and they need to base their actions and their decisions on on science and on public health data. You know, recently, uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson got COVID, and, and, and he and fortunately didn't get too ill from it. But, you know, he went on to stress that COVID-19 is not a death sentence. No, it's not a death sentence for everyone who gets it, but it's been a death sentence for hundreds of thousands of Americans. It's, it, it's irresponsible to play down the impact of COVID-19. You know, part of that is, frankly, I think it's a little CYA on, on the part of our federal officials. Um, you know, we still have hospitals in Wisconsin who are rationing PPE. After all this time, had we had leadership on the federal level and more leadership on the state level, particularly from the folks who have been opposing every effort to control this virus, we would have enough PPE now that is incredibly basic to the needs we have going into what is going to be an incredibly challenging couple of months. So we don't need hyperbole, but we need people to acknowledge the challenge that exists before us, and we need them to do their jobs, to model the right behavior, and to be in touch with and sensitive to the real people who are impacted by this disease, and not just the people who are suffering from the illness, but the small businesses that are going out of business every day in this community and across the country, the workers who are waiting for the next eviction prevention mor the next ev eviction moratorium to expire and then get kicked out of their homes. We need the federal government to step up and help people who are suffering greatly economically because it works. It worked last time. We spent invested $10 million here helping small businesses, $10 million in helping people with eviction prevention, and it got them through that. But we need help getting through the next few months so that people have something to recover from once we're through this. So I'll stop there because there are certainly many levels. But I think most people would be in agreement that certainly on the federal level, we have not seen the type of leadership that this country deserves and that we would be in a much different place today had we. Thank you.